Hey guys, Eric from Working Dog Radio. I want to talk to you about one of my favorites, and that is Dogtra. I've been using Dogtra collars for a long time, way before they became a sponsor of the podcast. At the Police Canine Association, we've been using them, and that's all we use. Uh, we've been vendors for a while now, but we've been users of Dogtra collars way before we became vendors. At my kennel, I have a drawer full of them. I have the 1900S e collars, and I got a bunch of 600 bark collars. I like it nice and quiet. My kennel and those bark collars work perfectly. But Dogtra is not just sitting back doing nothing. They're out there uh, innovative designs, coming up with new stuff. And in May, they launched three new products. All right. They uh, sent them to Ted and I, and we get to test them. I cannot wait. This is the coolest part of my job here. Now, I want to talk to you about the one that I'm going to try, and that's the Pathfinder. It's a GPS tracking and training collar where no cellular is required. There's free detailed satellite and terrain views from Google Maps along with an offline maps mode. Easy location sharing for dogs and dog owners. History playback on your smartphone and computer and custom alerts for dog actions using pop-ups, sound, and vibration. I have two brand new dogs in my kennel. I just started introducing them tracking a couple days ago and I can't wait to get them out and get longer and try these things out. Bird dog guys, trial dog guys, these things are perfect for you guys. Um, check them out, man. They're not waiting on us. They got them out there because they are proven with their stuff. Give them a call, 888-811-9111. Dogtra. This episode is brought to you in part by Highland Canine LLC. They offer total solutions for law enforcement and military organizations to meet their increasingly demanding canine needs. Connect with them and see the difference at tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. That's tacticalpolice, the letter K, the number nine, training.com. Yeah, I'm a crazy motherfucker walking up your street. Craziest fucker that you ever see. Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, we are back again with another episode of Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. I am Ted Summers, Working Dog Radio, Torchlight Canine, and Working Dog Dry Goods. With me, as always, is Eric Stambro. Eric, what's up? Puppies. That's what's up. (laughs) (laughs) At least they're not bitey ones. Right. So, well, yeah. So what's happening is, um, so, you know, we had those 11 lab puppies and, um, I started going into, uh, the whelping room at the lady's house who's helping me out. And I noticed that, you know, they weren't all forward. And to me, I, I thought a couple of them, you know, reacted like they were starting to learn fear and things. Cause they would, they would be out in her yard and, and around her and me when I came and my daughter would go up there and stuff like that. So, what I started doing was every day for about two weeks, I took them, piled them all into my van in crates in the back, all 11 of them, and took them someplace different and had different people or like my nieces and nephews and family members and, and their friends and just a bunch of people there. Get them out, different environments, different places. And now when you go there, you open that whelping room and be ready because they're they're attacking you. They're piling through there, you know, all forward, nobody hiding back. 
Um, you know, nobody trying to stay sleeping or anything. They're all up and moving and <laughs> definitely more socially out there. So it really, really worked and really helped out. Um, and then now they're starting to move off. I've got uh, three of them headed to Indiana for diabetic alert training. And we're keeping the runt. I got suckered into that move with my daughter. <laughs> and and then, um, you know, there's a couple pet quality ones that we're, that we're getting – you know, sold to, to pet homes. And I still have a few, I, I haven't decided yet, man. I've got a few, uh, female, well, a couple females, one is specifically a black one that is really showing a lot of problems. She has since day one. I, I just don't know if I want to try to sell her now or, or keep her and train her a little bit. I'm just not trying to have a bunch of young dogs, little puppies running around the house, you know, at the kennel and stuff, but I might, you know, I might do it. I, People I don't are going to send you a thousand fucking emails, and they're going to want a ton of video, and they're going to waste your fucking time, and then they're going to be like, "I give you three hundred dollars for that dog," and then you got to bring right. it to me too. <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely been some tire kickers. A uh, couple guys that I work with, you know, I gave I gave cops first shot when they were hitting me up early, and so I kind of held off even letting anyone see or give a deposit on any of them or anything for these two dudes and. So I kind of separated out which dogs I thought maybe would be more in line for them, and both of them backed out. Yeah, we have uh, we yeah I've been dealing with something similar to that. We uh, started some new dogs for some departments local, and then some dogs over in Arkansas and somewhere else. They're just oh Kansas. I started another couple dogs for some guys in Kansas. So <coughs> the August is going to be awful because it means i'm going to be in the suit a bunch for handler schools which it's going to be i'm sure here it'll be 175 degrees which is going to be just great so i'm looking forward to that <laughs> we just, yeah, I bet. I bet. Uh, one of the first dogs we ever sold um died a couple weeks ago um he was a month from retirement and um his handler now is the sergeant over the canine unit at the city uh, and he's one of those handlers that you dream about, that he was super motivated. The guy keeps meticulous records. And I mean, like, records from, like, the first stop the dog ever made. And he traced that all the way through the court system, like, and every time it happened, right? So, and he's like that guy. And, you know, takes everything super seriously, super good handler, great guy. Um, has two young handlers now, and I did the dogs for them, and he's now their boss. Uh, dog, this dog passed away, um, Apollo, and um, we went to the memorial service last night for the dog, and it was insane. Um, I kind of, I mean, you know, because I'm in a bird, I mean, we, just for people listening, we have Jerry Bradshaw on tonight, and, you know, I think that all of us here kind of take for granted what we do. Like, I just tell people, I joke around, I'm like, I just teach dogs to find stuff and bite shitheads. Like, that's what I do. And it's interesting going to things like that because... You know, I interact with handlers all the time, and they're dog guys, or they become dog guys, hopefully. And, you know, when you inter you know, you know, interact with the general public and you interact with chiefs and you interact with city council people, like, they have zero idea what we do or what it takes to do this, even to handle or even to train one of these dogs. And it was a super crazy experience to have, like, just random, like, like just people that lived in this town walk up to me and say thank you for training our dog and i was like i didn't know what to say i mean it was one of the weirdest experiences i've ever had other than to just say you know i mean 
I'm glad I could help. I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, like, I mean, it was, you know, and it was super cool to see. I mean, there was like 600 people there for a dog's memorial and like chief police is there. I mean, it was a super cool thing, but, um, they got two new dogs, um, they're pipetters and the handlers are super, super motivated. And those guys are already ruining assholes days. So, uh, (laughs) they should be, um, they should be, uh, they should have a fairly long career, um, they're trained well, they're managed well, um, they're well supported by their community and their, and their administration. So, um, I'm, that was, it was super, I'm proud of those guys and, um, they do a good job, but tonight, as I mentioned, we've got Bradshaw, Jerry Bradshaw on again from Tar Heel Canine and PSA and I'm missing something. What did I miss, Jerry? Um, those are the, those are the, my two main, uh, my two main homes, um, We've also got. Uh, you want me to? You want me to introduce the uh, our new project now, yeah. or do you want to? Yeah, that's to that? part of the reason you're on. Fuck yeah! Oh, all right. Well, um, so uh, a few actually when uh, before you guys launched and when when uh, I was talking to Alicia, um, you know she uh, she's sort of the one that got me thinking about podcasts, and I have uh, seen how well yours has done. Uh, been listening to a lot of podcasts as well. Um, just on some some other uh, you know some other general topic areas, and uh, <clears throat> so I decided to uh, think about launching one for us. And so we uh, we are going to be launching the Controlled Aggression podcast uh, coming up uh, actually the week of uh, June. I think we're we're going to be taping this, and it's not going to air until afterwards. But uh, June uh, 18th is going to be our launch date, and we're going to start having some episodes drop. Excellent, excellent, excellent. What's the uh, content going to revolve around? Well, uh, for us, it's going to, you know, for me, uh, t- you know, talking is going to revolve a lot around what I do. So um, it's going to be a lot of PSA stuff on there, um, a lot of stuff uh, about training police dogs. It's going to be a bit different uh, of a format because it's going to be more of like a monologue type format where I get on and talk. Um, and uh, not so much. We'll, we'll do some, probably have some uh, guests on occasionally. Uh, but just talking about different topics. There's so many questions to answer. I get asked a lot of stuff about, uh, you know, about PSA. I get asked a lot of stuff about training in general. There's just so many topics to go through that I'm going to, um, you know, try and uh, dedicate a, an hour a week uh, to recording on uh, different topics that are either timely or interesting or things that people have, have asked. Um, a few of the episodes that we've already got in the can have been PSA related. Uh, one kind of an intro to PSA, kind of like our uh, a podcast version of our welcome seminar that we do for all new clubs that come to PSA, and then um, uh, one of probably many Q and A uh, on PSA where I had a bunch of people, some uh, some new people to PSA, some new people from our club actually come up with a bunch of questions that they wanted answered. You know, things that when you're in it for a while, you know, you kind of you kind of take for granted. And so just questions that they wanted answered. So I uh, and then once I got through that, I realized I could like literally make a living doing just that, Um, putting stuff out on social media and saying, hey, what do you want people to answer? Uh, And, uh, you know, and I I think that's uh, that's going to be something we're going to do a lot of. And I want to I want to do a lot of talking about PSA and promoting PSA on that podcast. Excellent. And I, you know, that was, so when Eric and I and Alicia started this side, um, we kind of, 
on the like the back end, Alicia has gotten some flack for some people because we don't because we're like, oh, you cover working dogs, and we're like, well, I mean. Yeah, I mean, you know, like uh, Eric and I's wheelhouse is police dogs, and so when people are like, oh, do you talk about bird dogs? I'm like, man, I don't know the first thing about training a bird dog. What do you want to hear me talk about training bird dogs for? I mean, and I don't know. I don't think Eric does either, but, and I'm like, I, that is not my thing. Like, I don't know about training PTSD dogs. I don't know about training service dogs. I don't even know where to start, and I ju- like I said a minute ago, I train dogs to find stuff and bite shitheads. Like, that's what I do. So... You know, in there's so much room for us for good information, and it's great that because PSA and because you know, I mean, the biggest question I think that everyone asks you or everyone asks me is they're like, oh, how is it different than export? Or the other one is how is it so different from or how is it real life? And you know, it's kind of like, uh, well, you know, it's different here and it's not. It's a sport. <laughs> we have right. to have something to judge. So, and I don't know where that came from because I don't think we've ever, not that I, as long as I've been involved, I can't ever remember us or anyone saying, oh, this is as close to real life as you can get. I mean, I don't think it's ever been sold that way, has it? No, not really. I think, you know, I think we, um, to a certain extent, there are a lot of exercises, and we talked about this before when I was on on last time. There are a lot of exercises in PSA that you know we cross over into our police dog training. Um, and, and, and so cross them over because we are we're to uh, you know go around barriers and deal with lots of distraction, get sprayed in the face with water before they bite, all that kind of cool stuff is what we do in PSA, and a lot of that. Um, overcoming obstacles and pushing through pressure is what police dogs have to do. Um, but, you know, in the end, just like everything else, it's a sport. It's stylized. It has points. It's judged. You know, when, 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 you know, when your guys go out and, you know, and, and track a, you know, track a, a bad guy, just like, you know, just like our teams do that we train for police dogs, you know, that's, that's, that's real life. And, you know, there's really no style points for it. If they find the shithead at the end of the track and get him into custody and nobody gets hurt and everybody goes home except for him or her, then that's a good day. And, you know, PSA in, in, in the end is it's a sport. Um, you might come in first, second, or you know, or not pass. And it doesn't mean your dog's not functionally operating. It just means that, you know, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't win. You didn't, uh, you didn't satisfy the rules of the sport and can, can happen for a lot of different reasons. So, you know, it, it, like I said, I, I have a lot of respect for anybody who trains for anything, any sport, um, but sport dogs and, you know, police dogs are a bit different. It's funny because I had, I posted a, posted a video on, on my, um, school for dog trainers page the other day of some practice I was doing with my personal dog. And, uh, you know, of course, PSA dogs are left generally left bicep targeters. And, you know, so you got, you know, you got on command sent into, uh, into the decoy. So young decoy at our, at our school that, that's been coming out and, and working with me a little bit. And one of the first comments was, um, from somebody I had no, I, I didn't even know that I guess they're a friend on the that page and they said the dog should target the weapon hand. And, um, oh. yeah. And, you know, of course I rarely get baited into those discussions. <laughs> I, I kept, I kept my cool. And I didn't say anything, but it's, you know, it's, it's like, it's that kind of, it's that kind of stuff. It's like, well, I, I hope these podcasts that come out can like educate people about, 
you know, some of the differences between, you know, police dogs, sport dogs, you know, there's some really stylized sport like ring and IPO, and there's a little bit less stylized sport that's like, you know, kind of like PSA, and then, you know, you have, uh, but it has its, it has its own stylization, and, you know, I mean, you can have a dog that can, that can track all day, but it would fail, you know, an IPO track every single time you bring it out. Um, that doesn't yeah. mean it's not functional, right? It doesn't mean it's not functional. Um, so, you know, so we do different things. Um, and we also challenge the dogs in different ways in PSA than in other sports. So, you know, it has its uniquenesses and I think a lot of people like it for that. So, um, but you know, all these, all this podcasting stuff that's out there is really, I mean, it's, it's educational and there's, there's a lot of good information out there. There's a lot of bad information out there. There's a lot of stuff that gets shared on social media. It's just stupid. Um, and so, you know, it's good to have some voices out there trying to separate some of the wheat from the chaff and, you know, giving people a decent education about dogs and everybody's going to have differing opinions about this and that and the other, and, you know, but that's where all this stuff comes in. And, and I think it's, I think it's good for the industry. I think it's good for dog sports in general to have more people out there talking. Um, you know, sometimes there's some dumb shit that gets said and, you know, but that's life in general. right? Yeah. You know, one of the biggest things I think that, has changed quite a bit and this is like not even me talking this is my partner scott talking it was like you know the one thing that's changed because you know he was fucking seven special forces group guys he was a swat guy for st louis county and he's old as shit and you know he was like we didn't have the internet back in the day we didn't have any of this other stuff and he was like you know and he always told me like forever he's been telling me forever he's like the first the first rule the first time you try and train with somebody that you don't even know and they start getting all wonky with you he was like that's red flag number one and he was like then you know if they're like super tightly controlled and they don't want this and they don't want that and you have to do this and like there's a ton of rules and he was like you know everybody kind of does their things everything this in a different way but in the end like it's still you know you can't argue with results and he was like if people are not willing to kind of discuss that process he was like you need to take a really hard look at who you're talking to and at the time i was like whatever dude you're old you don't understand mm-hmm. and so sh- shockingly scott's normally always right who knew and um <laughs> so you know and and i run into that a lot and i and i think that one thing that this podcasting or that whatever has done is and that you know and just like you said you know one of the things that we've started to do and what we wanted to do from the beginning was simply put out good information and like you said there's a lot of dumb shit and like the weapon hand stuff um and so i you know have struggled with how to address that here and other places but i think it's good and you know i mean i think one of the things that is sorely underrated i think in psa and even some of the ring sports is the like the skill sets that we teach um, to the successful PSA dogs, um, how those can be crossed over to law enforcement work. Um, like you said, to go through distractions, to go through water, to go through this, to go through that. But, you know, I have, you know, some of my handlers come through and we do like fend off. So we do fend off with prey objects. We do fend off. We do passive bites. We do everything that we do in level two and level, well, not everything, but a lot of stuff that we do in the level two and level three PSA stuff, a lot of my handlers do, and they don't even realize that they're doing it. Well, one, because I don't tell them, but two, you know, I, it, it's an important, it does mirror, a lot of that does mirror in certain aspects of what they have actually encountered in actual bites where, you know, the last bite we had uh, a couple weeks ago, one of my teams tracked up on a guy. It was three o'clock in the morning and dark as shit, and they just tracked up. And dog was on a fifty foot line, <clears throat> and they tracked for I don't know, like four hundred yards or something. And dude was laying under a bush, and the dog found him before, 
and they had containment set up, and it was in a known direction, blah, blah, blah. And uh, Dog found him before the handler did, obviously, and Dog smoked him, and he was just laying there, and smoked him right on the leg, and the handler was like, I had no idea he was even there. And so, you know, cuff him, hook him up, turn flashlights on, blah, 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 blah. But we do a ton of passive work, and, you know, we do a lot of passive work in PSA, too. And I think a lot of times it gets missed, but there is a lot of stuff in PSA, like the core skill sets, like maybe not the judging end of the spectrum, like where we're looking at points for entry and grip and blah, 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 and whatever, all the other shit that we look for. But the core skill set is extremely important for, I think, a lot of PSA dogs. I mean, a lot of law enforcement dogs. I mean, when we teach vehicle extractions, I got to teach a dog how to go into an open door, how to go through an open window, how to go through different doors, how to go in, you know, it's an environmental issue and teaching a dog how to jump in and over or teaching just a simple command like go through the window or just whatever that is is something that we have to teach as a fundamental exercise in PSA over and tunnel. I mean, God, I can't count the number of times I've heard handlers yell tunnel or through or over and then have control after that. So uh, it's a super important point, and I hope, and I'm sure you will, I'm sure you probably already have, but I hope you'll talk about that like in the podcast as well. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, one of the things that I mentioned in, in the in the very first you know, short introductory episode is, you know, I hope that when, you know, when canine handlers are tuning in to listen to stuff that's maybe germane to them or talking about like scenarios that, you know, they can set up in training and that sort of thing that, you know, um, people that are in PSA will listen to those conversations as well. And, you know, and say, Hey, that's, you know, that's interesting. I might want to set something like that up for, you know, my, my PSA dog. And then the same, you know, this, the reverse holds true, which is, you know, don't just tune your ears out when somebody says, you know, sport dog or somebody says, you know, it's a it's a you know, it's a PSA dog. And, you know, you might want to listen to how we're setting up scenarios for these PSA dogs, because a lot of that stuff, you know, might be stuff that spurs you to think about how you might want to be training your police dog. Like what are some other skill sets that you can teach your dog that allow these, you know, allow the dogs to function more seamlessly and, and uh, you know, and and and, uh, and be and be more reliable, maybe train a little bit more efficiently that sort of thing so i think you know my goal is to have you know you know people listening for you know for for multiple reasons um not just you know because oh this is a this is a going to be a conversation about you know component training for law enforcement tracking or something like that it's you know it could be all right well you know breaking down skill sets and working individual skills and how you put them together is interesting to anybody no matter what you're trained for and you know and that's something that i was trying to push out to to any of our students that are at our school or anybody I train with, or when I go to seminars is, you know, don't, you know, training is training and, and it doesn't really matter what particular skill set you're training. Your training is, is organized and put together and, and it functions similarly, no matter whether it's, you know, detection work. I remember, at, you know, at my high risk deployment seminar, I just got back from in, in Georgia. You know, I usually tell people, you know, if it's training you would do for detection, you know, probably the same general approach would also work for some of your patrol work. And, you know, and it's, you know, train again, training is training. It's, we're training a dog to hunt out a target odor. That's not a lot different from teaching a dog to, you know, to hunt out something in a building. And if you, you know, put your detection hide on the back license plate every single fucking day, and you wonder why the dog runs past everything else and goes, mm -hmm. goes there, don't ask me why when you set up your building search training, 
Max <laughs> fucking bathroom of the same building every time. The dog won't just run past all the doorways and go to the back, right? We, you know, like you know, I, I see that kind of stuff all the time. And you know, if you think about it, oh, well, you know, hide placement kind of matters whether we're searching out a person or we're, you know searching out a, a bad guy. You know, then then you kind of get it. You know, it's the same thing is true. Like, you know, when we were doing this high risk deployment seminar, I, you know, I had them put sleeves and bite suits behind closed doors and stuff like that. And, you know, you get some of the new handlers say, well, why are you doing that? And I said, well, when you're trying to detect your dog, don't you put out, you know, gloves and plastic baggies and other distractor odors and stuff like that? Make sure the dog doesn't respond on them. Yeah, of course we do. Well, detection and patrol in that case are the same thing. I don't want my dog, you know, responding on, you know, a sleeve just because it's behind a door and alerting on it. I want them to notice that, oh, that's something that's associated with this, but it's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the human odor. I'm looking for a guy somewhere. And when I find that, that's when I'm going to give my alert. So I, I think uh, I think a lot of that. You know, also, you know, when you're when you're thinking about how you're setting up or how you back chain things, all that kind of stuff is uh, is all very related. And I think the more experience you get with a lot of different types of training, the the better a trainer you'll eventually be. So, what a lot of people don't know, um, you know, those are, are just uh, fans of the canine world, or maybe just handlers and don't really understand, is that. So, a lot of vendors uh, go over to Europe and, or even in the states, when they're going to look at dogs. A lot of the times, they're going to sport clubs, KPV clubs, in different places, and buying dogs straight off the field. Have you see? Has that started with PSA? I know PSA is pretty new. Have you started to see? that yet um nobody sells psa dogs really that's because it takes so long really to (laughs) to develop them like you know you kind of you kind of hold on to them and and you guys know very well it's like there's a similar thing in holland where it takes a really long time to get the dog generally to a ph1 although you know some dogs get rushed in order to just get them sold but the difference between you know sport titles and and a PH one is that PH one is a certificate, right? So, um, you know, if you get a PH one and then you show your dog again for a PH one, you don't pass, then you lose it. And so, mm-hmm. people usually title their dogs in in in, in PV and then they sell them. And that's kind of the sport culture there. Is then you start a new dog and you start over and you title them and you sell them and you move on. And that's not you know that's not like the IPO culture. There's usually if somebody sells an IPO dog, it's usually because they're not going to win with it. Um, doesn't mean the dog's not a good dog or he's not going to be a functional dog or a good police dog. Uh, might be a little too, you know, sometimes a little too sharp or, you know, whatever the case may be. And they decide they're going to sell the dog or they know they're just not going to get the points or, you know, the dog quarters too much when he tracks and they're not going to ever fix it. You know, you make those decisions. You decide, I'll sell the dog and I'll start over. Um, but in PSA, it's really hard. Like I, I remember like probably about six or seven years ago, I showed video of our PSA uh, three nationals. Um, uh, I remember in particular, it was a clip where I think, um, uh, maybe it was longer than that ago. It was a clip of, I think, um, Lamont Houston's dog in a horse trailer with Daryl Ritchie. And you, all you see is this horse trailer, like rocking from side to side. And he's just wearing this dog out and pressing him up against the sides and their can curtains and, you know, a chainsaw with no chain on it. And, you know, it was going nuts and, I showed it to a, like a tier one, you know, operator group that's close to here. And, and they're like, those are the kind of dogs that we want. And I said, well, good luck. Nobody's going to ever sell you one. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, 
really takes a long time to get there, you know what I mean, like to show them all that stuff. So, um, yeah, and I, I mean, people do sell, you know, like the SA1 dogs occasionally, but um, I think until the, the sport gets, you know, tremendously more huge, it's going to be it's going to be hard to prime out of people's hands. They, they just generally don't want to sell them. Yeah, and, and they what, oh, and they started with the. Uh, the breeding saying these are from PSA lines as have we gotten into yeah. that yet? Yeah. Uh, so like, actually it's funny because that's something that I, I mentioned in one of the podcasts that I just recorded was, you know, my hope is that people mm-hmm. look at PSA kind of as, you know, that this is a really nice breed test. It's not, you know, we just don't you have to look for dogs at a ring lines or look for dogs at IPO lines. We can say, you know, now PSA is the kind of sport where we say, oh, well, that's the kind of dog I want. And a lot of the things in PSA are things that I want in my, you know, and the kind of dogs that I like. Um, I think the, um, you know, the one, you know, the one thing that, um, you know, maybe we take a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a hit for in PSA is you know, there's not really a big scent component in it. I mean, there's in level three, there's area search and, you know, things like that. And dogs have to be able to People don't realize that I think when they first look at the rules, but dogs have to be able to uh, actually hunt for retrieve items sometimes because a dog might be sent to a blind retrieve over a jump and on command, it, you know, it might have to search for something in the grass like a, a metal pipe at level three or, you know, just something that they might not be able to see right away. So you, you do have to have some, you have to teach your dogs if you're smart, you'll t- teach your dogs to do some hunting. Um, I, I do that with my dogs and I'm, I'm training at that level, but, you know, beyond that, I think, um, you know, the, the amount of pressure that the dogs have to be able to take and so forth, there's a huge genetic component to that. And I think that's, you know, that's what's one of the selling points of, of dogs that are being trained in PSA and then bred with PSA titles. So uh, we are seeing a lot more of that kind of thing. Um, and a lot of those breedings where, you know, the, the dogs are famous kind of in the PSA circles. Those breedings are, are, you know, they go pretty quick, and um, you know, it's uh, it's kind of nice to see that. I think that's going to be something that uh, continues and grows, and you know, because we, you know, we've held the line at least in PSA as a sport to really keep it challenging, and um, and so dogs that you know get into level twos and level threes for sure, you know, have uh, you know have something you know something behind them that you can say, well, it's not every dog gets that title. And, you know, so that, that must be a pretty nice specimen. You still have to do your due diligence and make sure the combinations are right if you're buying dogs, no matter what kind of breedings they are. But, yeah, I'm pretty proud that uh, it's becoming kind of a, a thing now for people to advertise their, their PSA breedings. Yeah, and what I'm about to say is not a knock against anybody or anything, but um, PSA is fucking hard. And it's, <laughs> it, and it's not hard because it's inconsistent. It's not hard because... Um, you know, the judging is bad or what any number of the other weird stuff I've heard in the past, it's hard because it's, it's hard. And, you know, you know, you do a good job of describing it as a risk versus reward sport. When IPO people come to me, because we've got three fairly large IPO clubs close to me. And when they come to me, like, what's the difference? I'm like, okay, well, you know, I mean, you know, leave it to the Germans to suck the fun out of anything. So like the IPO rule book, I mean, you know, I mean, they count the number of fucking steps you take, right? So you're training to a very prescribed standard. And it is literally like, who is the smartest trainer that can select the best dog to fit to this specific standard? You know, and that's why you see like 900 fucking dogs get IPO3 titles and the scores are separated by, you know, tenths of a point. Like when you look at the world championships or when you're Bundesliga or whatever, they're super, super, super tight, right? And you're judging just, I mean, minuscule like differences. And 
in dogs and whatever else. And you know, I'm like, okay, so that's obviously about precision, right? So, I mean, it's very, very precise work. It's very difficult to train a dog to do that. I mean, IPO3 is not easy in any phase of it. The other side of that, and this is what I tell them, I'm like, you know, PSA is about control. Like, when you show up to do a PSA 3, you have zero idea what you're about to be asked to be do. You will know that you're not going to be asked to be do certain things. And outside of that, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, anything goes. So you have to really know what you're good at, and you have to really know what the dog is good at, and you have to play to those strengths, and you have to put yourself into positions to make good choices and hopefully that the shit that matters is going to get judged or the stuff that doesn't matter is not going to get judged. And, you know, it, it very much is a, um, it'll test the handler as well as the dog. And, you know, which is why, I mean, I'm trying to think, I don't think any dog in the, God, man, in the twos, past the twos, or even past the one, has titled with somebody that was a handler that wasn't the, that also wasn't intimately involved in the trainer. I mean, like I know in I I know in uh, IPO, like you'll have guys that are like professional handlers or whatever else, and the same thing in like French ring, where those dogs are not you know they're not intimately involved in the training of the dog. In PSA, I don't know that that's the case. I mean, you have to be pretty pretty aware of what you're good at and when the judge is like this is what you're asked to do you're like shit okay so what am i supposed to like so then you have to piece together something and say okay this is the best way that we're going to get this done hopefully and it's hard it you know that's i think that's one of the things Mm -hmm. that i i love about the sport so much is you literally you have to be the dog you can't just you can't just go out there with the dog and think you're you're going to be able to do it because there's there's, you know, once you, you know, even once you get past the PDC, like I've seen some people handle dogs in a PDC for a client, let's say, or even try to handle dogs in a level one for a client. And, you know, it, that's even tougher than when you get into the twos and the threes. And if you don't live with that dog and know that dog intimately and train it every single day, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're really going to have a tough time walking out there because there's no you can't read like you said you can't read some you know set of rules where you're like well this is exactly what you're going to be asked to do and go out there and maybe practice the routine a little bit and you know and feel a little bit comfortable going into it i think the the thing for me is like especially in level two and some of the surprises and especially in level three when you get to the surprise obedience you know you have to component train literally everything your dog knows and then be able to string it together in a bunch of different um, scenarios where what might be the end of one scenario is the beginning of another. You know what I mean? So, you know, it could be, you know, it could be something simple as the sequence of jumps and retrieves where, you know, your, your dog has to be able to retrieve and then, you know, do a, uh, you know, a sit on recall with the retrieve in his mouth and down and reset, you know, and then, uh, you know, and then, and then come back through, you know, come back over the jump, you know, with the, the thing in its mouth. Yeah, that, that's something that, you know, you have to you have to train the retrieve separately, you have to train all these jump sequences separately, teach the dog to sit on recall separately, and then try and put it all together so your dog's like, what the hell are we doing? You know, and, and you know, sometimes I'm, you know, I'm doing crazy shit like that when I'm training with my dog and I'm just experimenting and trying to imagine, you know, what kind of stuff might happen, what would I dream up as a judge, you know, what have I seen other people do before, and still after 20, you know, you know almost 20 years, you know, like I'll watch I'll, uh, or judges will, you know, if, if they're going to get ready to do a trial, you know, especially new judges have to submit scenarios, 
for senior judges to look at. So if I'm not at the trial or I don't have anybody going to the trial, I'll review like the upper level scenarios for new judges. And I'll look at some of that stuff and I'll be like, God damn, I, how, why didn't I think of that? You know, that was pretty, that's pretty clever. And, you know, and so you start to, you start to see things that, you know, these good trainers that are also in our judging ranks are coming up with some really creative things. And then not only that, the trainers are, you know, they're, they're keeping step with them and, you know, and they're, and they're, you know, starting to beat the sport a little bit more than they used to um, because the training's getting better and people are anticipating all kinds of, you know, of these, uh, these clever things. And, uh, and that's a great thing. I like to see that. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a, it's definitely a different kind of sport. Like some people who are very OCD and like their, you know, like things to be the same and they like to show up at a trial and know what's going to happen. You know, a French ring and, you know, and uh, an IPR are probably more for you. If you like the element of I don't know what the hell I'm going to be able to do or I want to be able to handle my dog through some stuff that he may, he may only just have been learning recently or never have seen before. Can I get him to do it? You know, can I figure out when to give the, the command in, in, a, in a way such that, you know, he might figure it out in the moment? You, you have to be a pretty good handler to, to think of those things because you're thinking as you're going through the routine meanwhile you know you know four crackhead decoys going around you distracting the hell out of your dog and you people don't realize that you know part of the distraction in, in level three when those hand when those decoys are talking to the handlers and poking fun at them and making jokes and stuff like that like that as a handler gets under some people's skin like they hear that stuff and then they stop thinking about what they're doing and then that's when they get the get the dogs you know what i mean like the handler stops paying attention or you know doesn't give a command at the right time because he's listening to something one of the decoys is saying to him because they're joking around or making fun of this. my favorite part <laughs> right like that's the that's the best part is you know you know somebody comes in and i know for sure the decoys love you know, doing it to me because I'm a judge, I'm a director, I come out there, you know, and they want to make, you know, they'll make fun of what I might be wearing or, you know, they're throwing a bucket of water at my dog while we're healing and, you know, they get it all, you know, like stuff like that is, is, is in many trials, um, mess around with handlers and, you know, done surprise attacks where, you know, a decoy comes out from behind a wall and the handler's standing there and doesn't realize they're going to get doused with a bucket of water. You know, if it's if it's July, you know, and it's, you know, 90 degrees and it's hot, you know, I, I feel like that's kind of fair game. And, you know, I, I remember we did that. Mm-hmm. I remember I did that once to uh, to Katrina, our uh, executive secretary. She was handling her dog, Cy. And I had a decoy, you know, come out from, you know, behind a, a, a blind or a car and she didn't know he was there. And he had a five gallon bucket of water. It was supposed to be like a handler attack. And he just doused her with a five gallon bucket of water. And she let out quite a good scream in addition to recalling her dog. Um, and he came back real fast, um, you know, but we all thought it was really funny. And, you know, it was, it was super hot, you know, so, you know, she appreciated the cool down, I think. Um, but, you know, like that, you know, that kind of stuff is, as I think, what makes it fun. You know, you saw, you know, saw, I saw the videos of that Arkansas trial where, you know, you're in there in that van with Kirby and you're like slinging water all around on the dogs. And, you know, that kind of stuff is, yeah. uh, is fun. You know, I think if you if you can't look at that and say, hey, that'd be fun to do, you know what I mean? Well, you know, that sport may not be for you. But if you look at that and say, well, I'd love to train that and play with that and figure out how to get my dogs to do that kind of stuff, then it's it's definitely a excuse me, definitely a sport to consider. Amongst the judges, uh, so the judges come up with the uh, 
the scenarios, for the lack of a better term, for the trials? Yeah. Is there is there a then a bit of one-upsmanship amongst them? Yeah, like sometimes, um, you know, sometimes as the because I'm I'm also the director of judges, so like sometimes that you know you'll you'll get some scenarios submitted and. You know, I'll look at that and I'll be like, whoa, you know, like, you know, you, you might have to dial this back just a skosh. Like you're getting, you know, you people <laughs> like what you write. And, and you guys know this because you do scenario training for police dogs. Right. So what you imagine on paper, sometimes sometimes you'll imagine on paper and think I'm going to get this dog team like, you know, this is hard. It's going to be really crazy, challenging. And then. You do it, and the team just soars through it, and you're like, wow, I thought that was going to be a lot harder. And then sometimes you do something, you write something down on paper, and you're like, well, this doesn't seem too hard. And it turns out to be quite a struggle. And so you kind of learn, you know, I'm sure you guys, you know that too. You kind of learn from doing that kind of stuff and playing it out and seeing how different dogs react to it that, you know, sometimes dogs are going to have and teams are going to have a, a, dif- a difficulty with something that you thought was relatively easy and not so much difficulty with something that you thought was relatively hard. And then after a while you, you start to realize, you know, where you can strike that balance. And, you know, and that's kind of why for our new judges, you know, for their first few years, we want to make sure that their scenarios are getting reviewed by experienced judges. So they can look at it and say, Hey, that's not challenging enough for this level, or that's too hard. Um, you're going a little crazy. Uh, but yeah, something like Sean Edwards, one of our judges, you know, he's like our, most creative, and I think when he he judged his very first club trial, which was um, at Tar Heel, um, was I, used, I like to have the new judges judge our club trials, and um, and he had a he had the opportunity to do a level three, um, and man, he had so many props. Um, mm-hmm. He's our Deadpool decoy, right? So you know, yeah, I was going to say he already's got a little cosplay <laughs> problem, and so but once you like give. You know, give his ADD free reign. You know, he comes up. He came up with some crazy stuff where the handler had to get into an outfit while you were handling, and you know, he, you know, he, he's probably one of our more creative judges in terms of that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it's usually a lot of fun at a, at a minimum, and um, you know, and, and certainly challenging. And every time, that's why every time one of these trials plays out, and there's level three dogs in it. You, everybody's everybody's watching for videos and you know checking it out to see what you know craziness did, did people come up with this time um same thing you know if, even if you're in a level two and you're doing starting to do these you know surprise scenarios for level protection you know you want to see what are the you know judges sometimes just like anything else judges sometimes get into habits like they like to test certain things or see certain things and some of their surprise scenarios and if you're a good handler and competitor you start watching and saying all right well you know, what does this judge tend to in his level two scenarios? What does this judge tend to do in his level three scenarios? Mm. And so you find the handlers, like we all talk to each other as handlers, you know, you know, thinks about her, you know, and, and call me, sees me, you know, showing a trial and be like, so, hey, what was it like showing her this judge? What was this level two scenario? I, I saw it on video, but, you know, what, what was it trying to play out? And, you know, and that sort of stuff. And we talk to each other and we share, you know, the, the handlers will share scenarios and approaches and talk about that. And that that's part of what builds a camaraderie <laughs> in the sport, too. So how many at this point P, uh, PSA3 dogs are there? How many? 
AC Beller just um, closed out his level three with Tuco, and I believe he was um, team number 20 and handler number 18 because there are um, two handlers that have uh, titled two dogs to PSA three. Um, so we've got uh, so we've got 20 PSA three dogs now. So then what's life like with a PSA three dog like every day? Is it just um, they're just n- not good? I can speak for myself, and once you get your the the relief you feel, <laughs> like <laughs> the relief is astounding because it, it usually it, it's usually a culmination of a lot of years of work um, and failure, um, doubt, um, self doubt about how good you are as a trainer. Will you ever get it? Is your dog good enough? You know, it, it like you know, there there are a lot of, there. There's a lot of people who have been striving for it for a lot of years sometimes, and you know, and it, it can it can create a lot of uh, a lot of panic and self doubt as to whether or not you're ever going to get there, and, and and that's why one of the things that I always tell people when it comes up and people ask about it, I say, you really in, in order to enjoy PSA, you have to enjoy the the training and the journey, um, and you know, and I've had dogs in my career even in IPO where, you know, before I got it, you know, started PSA where I got to a certain point with that dog. And I said, you know, that's where we're going to get to. And, and that's, and, and, and that's a great achievement for this, for us, you know, and, and it wasn't necessarily the pinnacle achievement in that sport. And I think sometimes people will get to a certain level and, you know, and like my, uh, you know, my, my, uh, friend Sean Siggins says for some dogs, you know, the, the level one is their level three and that's as far as they're ever going to get. And if they get that, they, that, that team has really accomplished something. And for other dogs, you know, you have getting to a level three is going to be tough. You have to have the right mix of handler, dog, genetics, bitability, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, if you have a dog that's really, really hard and, you know, and, uh, and, um, and impulsive and, you know, for some of those dogs, impulse control is a super, super hard thing. Um, and, you know, they're just, you know, they're just biting monsters. And, you know, and you guys know this too. There, I mean, there are dogs that have been bred like mad in Belgian ring or cane PD, and those dogs never got titled. And it's not like they're not good enough trainers, right? There's just dogs that are hard to title. You know, they're hard to rein in They're you know, and sometimes those dogs make the best breeding dogs. You know, we, you know, if you, uh, I'm sure I'm sure there's a lot of you know there's a lot of dogs that got titled in in Europe where you know the actual um you know sperm that's hitting egg is from something different than whatever what's trotted on the out on the field and got a title right you know there's there's all these uh you know there's all these stories about these you know these dogs that like well this dog got the title but actually the dog that's getting bred is got the same name and it's hidden somewhere in somebody's kennel and nobody could actually title it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's just kind of, it's, it's kind of one of those, you know, one of those funny things about the dog world, right? I'm sure it's true in any sport where animals are involved, but I think for, um, you know, for the most part, it's, you know, there are just some dogs that are, that are hard to, you know, get the right combination of, of biddability and power to be able to succeed in, you know, in, in, uh, in some sports. And, you know, that's something that we're always looking, you know, to mix. I have two very different dogs. I have, you know, one that's, you know, it's a powerhouse and, you know, and I have one that's a lot more biddable. They both have their strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, I may get there with one dog, I hope. And, you know, maybe if I close out my two with the other dog, I might feel a little more hope for, for him to get to, to a three if, if he doesn't age out, you know, before that happens. But, you know, I, I enjoy the journey. And I think a lot of people that are in PSA, you get hung up on, 
getting that achieve, you know, hitting that, you know, hitting that milestone of getting the title. But for me, a lot of it is, and, and trust me, I like going out and titling. I like winning, you know, I'm, I'm just as much as the next person does, but I do enjoy the day-to-day training. I enjoy how much it stimulates my mind. It keeps me thinking about dogs. You know, there was a time, you know, where I, I spent some time not actively training sport dogs um, because I, you know, I titled two dogs to the PSA three and I was frankly a little uh, tired of all the traveling and, and showing dogs and I didn't right away, you know, get another dog to, to train. And I dabbled with some dogs. I worked on some project dogs that, you know, I just, I just had around cause I like to have dogs around to mess with, you know, but when I got back into really seriously training these two dogs that I have right now for title, I could, you know, I, I not had to knock the rust off myself as a handler and I'm, you know, it's, it, you know, it's the same thing is true in police dogs, right? You, you know, there are a lot of people that train police dogs that don't equal and don't handle dogs on a regular basis. And, you know, and they can say all they want to say about what you should and shouldn't do, but there's something to be said for putting your hand, hands on dogs and, you know, and, and feeling things out. Right. So, you know, whether it's from the decoy side or from the, or from the handling side, um, and I think it keeps you sharper, it keeps you thinking a lot more, um, it makes you more detail oriented, you know, and you don't think of things in such general terms, you know, when you're not handling. So, you know, I was glad I jumped back in with both feet, you know, crazy as I wanted to make sure I, I had two dogs that I was working at the same time. Cause you know, I'm afraid that, you know, cause I'm going to, I'm going to age out soon. And, uh, there are these younger people, you know, like Janet and, you know, some of these other younger handlers that, you know, are, got their PSA threes and I'm like, you know, I, I feel like I'm going to eventually be, you know, the Babe Ruth of PSA where they'll show, <laughs> they'll show my videos and people will be like, wow, that's what a sport was like back in the ancient times, you know, and, and everybody will surpass the, the records and all that kind of stuff. And I, I'm actually happy about that. I, I love to see people succeed and I love to see the sport grow and, you know, people put a lot of effort into it and, and, and being successful. And there's some awesome trainers that are, you know, that are, um, that are getting involved in PSA and, and really taking the sport to new heights. That's awesome. All right, we're going to go ahead and take a second here uh, for, to hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to circle back around to uh, Jerry's newest venture, uh, his podcast. Let's take a second and talk about Dogtra. Astute trainers with proper training tools are the key to unleashing any dog's potential. For over 30 years, Dogtra has collaborated with industry professionals to create class-leading tools in e-collar training, GPS tracking, and balls training to support dog owners in developing top-notch dogs. One of the ways they do that is superior technology, ergonomics, design, and durability. They have gradual and precise stimulation control via their patented 127-level rheostat dial, so you have a minimal jump in stimulations they have trusted durability and reliability. I use them every day at the kennel and have for years. Works all the time, every time. Weatherproof, waterproof, and pretty much idiot-proof. They're, speaking of which, is intuitive and innovative. There's no fuss, no hassle. When you hear Eric talking about making sure the handlers know exactly where the remote is and it's a no-look use, this is exactly what he's talking about. Hit them up at doctor.com. I want to talk about something near and dear to my heart. That's the Police Canine Association, or PK9A. They were formed in 1985 by handlers for handlers. They are a 501c3 nonprofit that helps support active and retired canine units through fundraising and the sale of some badass merchandise. Please take a minute to check out their newly designed website at www.pk9a.com. That's pk9a.com. I've been a member there for 13 years and the current training director there. 
I can tell you there are some big things in the works to expand the nonprofit to help canine units all over. If you're on Instagram, check them out for some amazing content at Police Canine Association or Police Canine Association on Facebook. All right. We are back with Jerry Bradshaw from Tar Heel Canine. A, the first two-time guest. No, no, the second. We had uh, Ritlin on twice. He was a guest once and a co-host once. So um, you're in, you're in uh, the, the lower numbers there. Uh, Jerry. So one of the reasons why we really wanted to have you on was to talk to you about, talk to everybody about your uh, podcast coming up called Controlled Aggression. A lot of people know, most people and trainers in the dog world know the book Controlled Aggression that you wrote, like I, right after the Ten Commandments was written, I think is about yeah, when they're still coming back together. Right. And so, so it's a great name. It's, it's perfect. It all kind of, you know, comes back around to the podcast. Um, so is, is the podcast going to kind of just focus on whatever just hits your fancy? Or are you going to go off a of kind of going forward and maybe some feedback on questions people have and you're just going to, or something maybe you see, or is it going to be kind of talking about like controlled aggression? Yeah. Well, I, um, I, I chose that. I chose that name because, uh, you know, the, the book, which kind of has made its way around and is, is due definitely due for like a, a revision, um, but it's you know is still a good staple of you know basic you know basic um, training for you know for uh, aggression work for lack of a better term whether you're doing police work or sport work or uh, personal protection. I think you know I think it was a natural choice you know to uh, to use that as kind of our jumping off point because th- that's something I'm I'm kind of well known for is writing that particular book, um, and you know and so the the topic areas. Or just you know, just things I think about. I, you know, one of the one of the things that I um, actually talked to Alicia about when you guys were first starting your podcast was, you know, she was talking to me about you know print medium, and I, I write lots of articles. Right, that's you know, been my thing for a lot of years. I publish a lot. Um, I like to get my you know I like to think about things and, and get those ideas across. I you know go to conferences. I get invited to speak and do seminars, and, and I like to communicate knowledge. I started out my career as an economics professor and a teacher, and I always loved teaching. And so now I just teach a, a different you know a different um, uh, topic area, which is which is dogs and dog training. And so um, you know I mean you got to keep up with the times, and you know and and one of the things that. Sean has always told me, and we've always had talked about, and we talked about what you know what kinds of things we want to do um, in uh, at Tar Heel is you know we've always talked about you know putting out more videos and things like that, and you know I was like yeah that's 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 cool you know I mean but you know we almost all the time we're out there in the middle of training we're like awesome that was great training what a great club and we're like oh nobody got any of that on video because we were just too involved in the training of it right so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think, you know, for me, um, I'm looking toward the future and saying to myself, well, how can I reach more people? And, you know, and cops drive around in cars and, and, uh, and may or may not, you know, be, uh, you know, have time or, you know, be into reading articles. And I think the podcast is a, a good way to, to reach more people in, you know, in, uh, in my industry in the, in the police dog industry. Also, you know, dog sport competitors are always driving places to go to trials, training, you know, everybody has to drive, right? So, you know, people, you know, have a chance to listen to, you know, your guys' podcasts. I, I see a lot on social media where people are like, I got this, you know, six-hour drive coming up and catching up on, you know, some working dog radio. I think that's great. I think, it, you know, it gives people things to think about and talk about. And 
I know the topic of your podcast comes up um, at Tar Heel. People talk about some of the guests you had on and some of the things that have been discussed. That you know that becomes uh, becomes topic of discussion. So the more of those things that there are, I think, the better. So yeah. So to answer your question, yes, it's a lot of stuff that I think about. Um, some of it can be just you know just you know pure training ideas that I'm thinking about. Um, some of it can be stuff I see on social media. Some of it can be like sometimes just in a personal conversation I have with a young trainer or somebody who's asking me questions, I'm like, wow, that would be something good to talk about because probably a lot of people might want to be in on this conversation. I'm sure you guys think about that too. You have a conversation with somebody or you know, even amongst yourselves that in-service training, you're like, that's something that we should talk about because more people might want to hear about these things that we're talking about in private. So you know, I think that's one of the reasons that made me want to do it. Plus, it's a cool project to work on, right? So I'm always looking for interesting projects to work on that'll, you know, obviously help my business and get the word out about PSA and, and that kind of stuff. You know, it's spreading that religion is uh, is a, a big job for me. So I think the podcast will be a way to get a lot of me out, um, and as it has for you guys. And also... I can, you know, I can talk about areas that I'm thinking about as a trainer. Uh, I can talk about controversies, like one of the first episodes um, that are going to be on uh, that will be on the Controlled Aggression podcast will be about, um, you know, bad canine deployments, you know, and just you know those things that come up on social media, putting them in perspective, thinking about you know why these things happen, how we can prevent them from happening, um, you know, what goes into you know, what goes into all of the cascade of failures that lead to a bad canine deployment from dog selection to training to in-service training. So that's one of the topics I picked. And then, like I said, everybody's always got questions, you know, about PSA and training dogs. And, and I think that's a, that's a good place to start. I mean, we have a school for dog trainers, obviously. At so, you know, one of the things that, you know, I'm a kind of constantly being asked questions by people that are new, um, new to, you know, training dogs, new to, you know, sport, things like that. And like I was saying at the beginning of the show, sometimes those of us who have been doing it for a while, we forget people have those questions. And so that's another thing that kind of, uh, you know, inspired me down, you know, lots of topics as I was preparing to, to get the show launched. How, how many episodes do you have in the can right now? I have, uh, four episodes in the can and, uh, uh, plans for um, like three more um, in uh, I want to do one um, from Canada because we're Sean and I are getting ready to travel up there next week um, we're, we're going to do a PSA seminar in Ontario and then after that the Canadian Police Canine Association has their you know, annual meeting that we'll be uh, doing a you know a, um, a station at a workshop at so I think we're, we're going to try and do a um, do a podcast from there as well and um, you know, so yeah, I got, and then I'll be in Vancouver at the end of the month. So got a few places I'm going. I'm maybe you know do some uh, some podcasts from some remote locations, and maybe have a guest on. You know, I'll probably Sean and I'll probably do a little podcast about our about our adventure um, this coming uh, coming uh, week and a half that we'll be gone, and then uh, maybe I'll do one from Vancouver after I go out there and and, and do my seminar. So yeah, and what's the launch date? Oh, go ahead, Sean's what. Uh, Sean's actually Captain Selfie's actually been on the short list to interview, and he talked to Alicia the other night. And he was like, oh, "I didn't think you guys wanted to interview me or something." I'm like, "Are you serious? Why, why the fuck would we not want to?" I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. So 
you know, I, I love Sean, but he can be a little bit of a weirdo sometimes. Like he doesn't, he doesn't realize that, you know, people want to hear what he has to say, I think. Um, so he might take a little convincing, but once he gets on your show, like it'll, it'll be an awesome interview. Oh, I um, completely agree. <laughs> and you know, from, you know, you know, from talking to him, he'll be a lot of fun. So, you know, I, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pushing him, you know, he has, he has a little bit of a private, you know, private side that, uh, you know, he, uh, he tries to stay in the shadows a little bit, but I think we'll, I, I think we'll, you know, uh, push him, push him out into the light a little bit here. And, uh, and I think he'll, I think it'll be a fun interview for you guys. Yeah, no, I, I sent him a text and I was like, dude, seriously, like, why would we not want to interview? He's like, oh, he told her, he's like, I don't know. Like, what, what, what? I'm like, are you fucking serious, man? I was like, <laughs> you're like literally one of my favorite people. Why the fuck? He's like, you've been on the short list forever, but you don't have social media. And which is ironic because he loves to take selfies. And I'm like, you, he would have a fantastic fucking Instagram account. <laughs> It just seems right. to be like or Captain be Sel- repetitive. The same Captain picture Selfie all Canine. Time. No, that's all it should be. He should just be Captain Selfie Canine. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> like- yeah. Well, he, um, you know, he, uh, he, he, he likes to stay off, so he doesn't, he doesn't get drawn into, um, you know, certain arguments um, on social media. So oh, he yeah. says oh, he's. He says he's a lot happier for being off of it, and so I, I, su- I support his, uh, I support because <laughs> I like him when he's happy because he's you know six foot five and you know two hundred and sixty pounds, and you know we want to keep him kind of happy. Yeah, he is as big as a fucking door. Yeah, so um, yeah, that that's a that's a, that's a true statement. So yeah, so June when is the uh, when's the so June eighteenth, right? Is that yeah, when June eighteenth is um, is when uh, we're gonna uh, that's our that's our date where we're shooting to have everything start. Uh, and then we're going to try and do one every week. Um, so I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to doing that. It's, you know, I have to say, you know, props to you guys because it's not like podcasting is not easy. A lot of people think it is, but there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. You have to think about, you know, if you're interviewing, what questions you're going to ask, what topics you want to talk about, you know. And, and so there's a lot that goes into planning it out. But then on by the same token. You know, you, you can't be reading from a script. You know, you, you guys do a great job of being natural um, and, uh, and extemporaneous, and that's, and that's tough to do. So, um, you know, I've been teaching forever. I, you know, I have no problem getting up in front of a class of, you know, 100 to 150 people sometimes. Um, done that many times in my life, um, both as an economics instructor and as a dog trainer. Um, but when you're alone, you know, sitting in front of the microphone and, you know, and, and have to come up with things to, uh, to say for an hour, it's not mm-hmm. easy. There's a lot of work that goes into it. So I've been taking my preparation real seriously. And, um, and, uh, and, but it's also been fun because it's a new skill for me. It's, it's definitely a, something that, that's got a learning curve to it. And a lot oh, of people, yeah. a lot of people have said, you know, when you go back and, you know, maybe a year from now, listen to your first episodes, you're going to hate them. And, you know, and, and, uh, and it's, you know, like everything else is process of evolution. So I'm looking forward to it. It's been fun for me to think about the project and start to see it come to, to its Yeah, the, it's, uh, yeah, it, this, it require. I mean, everybody thinks all I do is sit here and tell jokes and drink beer and like talk about dogs. And like, if the, like, I, you know, the behind the scenes that go on and, you know, Eric can tell you like between he and I and Alicia, especially that three of us not being together in the same room ever, hardly ever. And there's a lot of work to go into doing these things. So, and especially when, you know, I mean, this is free. I mean, people can download this shit for free. And I mean, all I got to have is a cell phone or an internet connection and it's good to go. So, but yeah, I mean, you're right. 
and you know and that's sort of like and that's why when alicia told me you're doing the part when i saw it i was like oh fuck well because you said you were going to do one and i was like oh fuck yeah this will be great because i knew like i didn't know what you were going to talk about like with the se- content was going to be but i knew like that you would take it seriously and that since you had researched it for quite a while that it would be done correctly so i'm super stoked that you're going to do it and i'm going to hit subscribe so everyone else should too so if I can interrupt Ted's PSA boner here that he's going to have every fucking week. Wow. <laughs> um, so the one thing we learned with the podcast stuff is that you have to continuously remind folks where can they get it. So let's start right now with that. Okay. So um, the uh, the website, it's a long one, but it's um, controlledaggressionpodcast.com. The website's already up. Um, the, uh, obviously while we're recording this, the first episodes haven't dropped yet. Um, uh, but by the time this one airs, um, I'm sure that, uh, people will be able to go there and start um, downloading episode episodes there. And, you know, I am, I'm not as technologically adept as, um, some people are. So I actually have a company that's, you know, that's, uh, you know, scrubbing my audio and, you know, putting it in different places, but it'll be, uh, you know, pretty much anywhere you can download podcasts, Apple Podcasts, you know, Stitcher, some other places they told me it would be. But for sure, you can go to a controlledaggressionpodcast.com and download it there. And that landing page will have links to a lot of different things, you know, like the show notes and, you know, PSA and, you know, and I'll reference articles that are on my website for tarheelk9.com that people can download for free that might be relevant to some of the topics that we're discussing. That's That's great. Yeah, I still I showed a friend of mine today, just today, that he actually had the podcast app on his iPhone and it came with it. And he's like, "Oh shit, I never knew." Right. Uh, so <laughs> they did, you know, and that that Android people have Google Play on there, and then that's right. where it is, and it's easy to find. And they're like, "Hell, I would have been listening to stuff a long time ago if I'd have known that." I had some motherfucker with a flip phone the other day. It was like, "Where'd I download it?" And I was like, "Dude, what is that?" And then he was like, "Well, I have the internet." I'm like, "Just go to the website and do it, and just download." It. He was like, "Oh, it'll work." I'm like, "Totally." He was like, "Well, I have an iPod." I'm like, "You know, if you buy an iPhone." It combines those two devices into one <laughs> fucking thing. But that was a whole other conversation. But still, he was like, so I can get it on the Internet. I'm like, yeah, the whole interwebs, the Al Gore interwebs. Yes, you can. But but if there was a uh, – if Apple put a secret porn app on your phone when you bought it, those fuckers would all know where it they was. They would all know exactly how it functions. That's, yeah. that's, probably, that's probably legit. Uh, <laughs> all right, Ted, where can you be found on social media? Uh, Working Dog Dry Goods, Working Dog Radio, and Torchlight Canine all on Instagrams and the Facebook, and uh, same addresses on the internet. Great. I'm on Van S Canine Academy on Facebook. Um, most of my content is on Van S Canine on Instagram. Um, Jerry, you got some plugs or? Sure. You just leave that uh, up to other folks. <laughs> no, I got uh, um, Instagram is uh, Tar Heel Cane Number Nine. Um, they can find us there uh, on Facebook. My, you know, my personal page is Gerard Bradshaw. A lot of our stuff goes there. We also have a, you know, a um, Facebook page for the podcast, Controlled Aggression Podcast. Facebook page for our School for Dog Trainers, Tar Heel Canine uh, Training School for Dog Trainers is also there. So those are the the main ways to find us on. Um, social media and uh, also psak9.org is where you can find information about PSA and um, you know and pretty much everything about it the rule book 
um, upcoming events, trials that are coming up. So check that out. And um, there's lots of good links to videos and things like that for, for PSA that people are looking to uh, they're looking to get interested in the sport. We would love to have them. And, um, you know, social media is pretty much the way we all navigate uh, PSA, you know, with, uh, with events and things like that. So. Great. Great. Well, I, for one, can't wait for the podcast to come out. I'll be, uh, subscribing right away. And, uh, I'm going to be probably doing a lot of driving here this summer. So I can't wait to listen. Yeah. I appreciate that as well. Appreciate right on, man. Appreciate your support for, uh, for it and having me on to, uh, be able to give it a shameless plug. I, I yeah. am looking forward to doing it. And, um, so we'll, uh, you know, we'll, you know, we'll continue to keep pumping out some content. Um, starting conversations like you guys are. And I think, you know, I think for one, every, all of my trainers love listening to your podcast. And sometimes you do this stuff, you know, for free and, you know, you don't always get a lot of feedback. Um, and I think it's nice to hear that, um, you know, my students, we, you know, we, we tell them to listen to you guys, my trainers all listen to you guys. Um, it's great to, uh, great what you guys are putting out. Um, it's great information, the people you have on, you know, are really le- industry leaders, and I think you're doing a, a great service to the police. So, applause, applauding uh, your, your your guys' effort and all the, the work that goes into it. Thank you. That means a lot, man. That really does. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, uh, we had a good time, man, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Yeah, Sounds thanks, great. man. Yep. See you, man. Talk to you soon. Let me hop in here and talk about our one of our sponsors for the podcast, Southern Coast Canine, based out in New Smyrna, Florida. Southern Coast Canine has been providing better training, better results, and better dogs for over 25 years. Led by Bill Heiser and known for their excellent high-drive dual-purpose and detection dogs and outstanding customer service. They have what you want and what you are looking for. Call one 973 dogs that's 877-903-3647 and speak with Bill to discuss your canine needs today. Or visit southerncoastcanine.com. That's the letter K, the number 9. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at southerncoastcanine, the letter K, the number 9. Working Dog Radio is edited and co-produced by Dustin Wright at Bracket Designs. Be sure to hit him up at bracketdesigns.com for any branding or content-related work you have. We were graciously granted permission to use this rad music by Brother Deeg. Go buy him a beer at brotherdeeg, spelled D-E-G-E, dot blogspot, dot com, spelled D-E-G-E, or hit him up on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or any other music streaming stores. Check the show notes for links to both of these creative geniuses.